Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. Before we get started today, we just want to tell you all that we love you and we miss you and we're praying for everyone during this time. And we just want to remind you that if you're lonely or you're isolated, please reach out at info at newabbey.org and we would love to connect with you or go on our social media or website, sign up for a virtual smaller group. We want to do anything and everything that we can to support people during this time. Today's conversation is called Healed or Cured. And the question for you to get started with is, where are you experiencing the most uncertainty? Enjoy. Hopefully your conversations went well. Uh, It's been a fun week uh, at New Abbey, behind the scenes, getting things figured out. I would say that everyone is on the internet a lot more. We've certainly seen an uptick in trollers. That's been fun. Uh, Received a lot of emails telling um, us that we are wicked and depraved. That's nice. That's that's not true. It's only two. Uh, But one nice lady did send an email saying that this church is um, like the churches they describe in Jude and Revelation. (laughs) They clapped. I don't know. I don't know if that's when we clap, but anyways, uh, it's just interesting times uh, that people have a lot of extra time on their hands to listen to our podcasts, and those are the things that they comment on. I really wish that people would listen and they would hear things like, oh my gosh, these people really love one another, and they love Jesus, and they're doing good in the world, and they're bringing healing, but no, um, that is not uh, where we're at. I'm just going to keep talking for a little bit until I know that we've completely missed our lag time. Uh, and that everyone's out of the groups. Everyone's out of the groups? Yeah, Yeah, we're completely out of the groups. Okay, then we're good. Then we can keep rocking and rolling. Where I want to go today is thinking about this idea that everyone will find healing, but not everyone will find a cure. That what we want in life is a cure. We want things to be fixed. We want things to get back to normal. We want to just be able to raise our hand or say the prayer or go to a doctor to get a test that a vaccine will come. And that's true of even the rest of our lives, that if we would just reach out to God or cry to the heavens, that everything in this moment will be the same again. But the reality of life that we're learning through the coronavirus and really through every other major struggle that we have is that we don't always get cured. But that doesn't mean that we can't find healing. That doesn't mean that we can't find wholeness even when a cure isn't possible. Even if things will never go back to normal, can we still find healing in our lives? One of the reasons that human beings want a cure, even if they can't find healing, is that we love the idea of absolutes. We love the idea of certainty. And the truth is that there isn't certainty that we don't have a grasp on whatever all of the absolutes are, that uncertainty is a reality for all human beings. And uncertainty is something that paralyzes us. That psychologists have talked about this idea right now that we can't even use our fight or flight habits that are ingrained within us from an evolutionary perspective. So what we're doing as human beings right now, that through the uncertainty, we're actually freezing. We don't know what to do. We don't know which direction to look in. We don't know how to think. And uncertainty paralyzes us in a different way, and it really robs us of the humanity that we have. That even in the stock markets right now, when you listen to analysts and financial advisors, they'll say, we can handle bad days. 
Bad days are when we look at a company and we know the reasons why stocks are falling. But the market continues to crash because of uncertainty. When there's this reality of we don't know which way to go. We don't know how to figure this thing out. Uh, A few years ago, Harvard did this test where they would put these snakes under rocks and they would make different, the the, the people who were taking the test pull up different rocks to see which snake was underneath them. And people were more terrified when they realized there was a 50-50 proposition that the snake might be under a rock or there might be no snake underneath a rock. That what we found out is that through these testings and testing dopamine levels in human brains are that we would rather know that something is stressful than for it to be uncertain. That if you're in traffic, remember when we had traffic back in the day, uh, that uh, we're longing for traffic, people. Can I get an amen again? That in traffic, you at least knew I'm going to be late to the meeting and you could handle that anxiety better than an uncertainty of, I don't know what's going to happen. And so we want to understand uncertainty more. We want to work through the reality that we don't have all of this control over our lives. And the coronavirus is something that reminds us of that at this massive corporate level. But even through the uncertainty, even if all of us won't find the exact cures for life. Can we still find healing? Can we still find wholeness in the process? And so to do that, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about dethroning the gods. We're going to talk about being healed and not cured. We're going to bring that back to talking about summer camp. And then if we can talk about summer camp, then we're going to talk about surrendering the outcomes. And if you understand surrendering the outcomes, then Tiger King, my friends. And if we can talk about Tiger King, Lord help us, then we're going to reframe some things. Then we're going to unbind it in Jesus' name, said Frankie. Uh, And then we're going to talk about a wounded healer. So let's get into this. Follow along with me in John chapter 11. Jesus has stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. So what's going on here in this passage is that uh, Martha and Mary had already come to Jesus and the people had told him that Lazarus had just died and Jesus is now getting to the village and Mary and Martha are talking to him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is some bold words. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept, and the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved them. But some said, the man, he, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? I think this is like 2,000-year-old shade is what's going on here. Uh, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, and a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. 
Then Jesus shouted out, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And slide. This is what the Lord, nope, that's not it. That's it. That's the, that's the whole thing. Are we having technical difficulties here? Is that it? We're good? Okay, that's the end of the verse. There you go. What do you know? Good times. Loving it. The whole, this whole passage is about this idea of uncertainty, that for Mary and for Martha and for Jesus's friends, there's this uncertainty that takes place any time that somebody dies, that right now we're dealing with people who are fearful of the reality that death could be at hand. I know as being a pastor and having been privileged and entrusted to be with so many people in moments of death, that no matter how much time that you have to prepare, you're never ready for death. You're never ready for the reality of what it means. And there's an uncertainty that looms there for all of us. And in the narratives of Jesus and for the early church, there was this reality of how do you build this new kingdom and this new reality where the people of Jesus could show kindness and grace and mercy in this world, even though there's other kingdoms that are going on in this world that are not propagating kindness and love and mercy and equality and diversity and inclusion. And one of the best ways to do that is that you tackle the uncertainty of death. For the early church, the challenge was that the Roman government could kill you at any time. And so that for the life of Jesus, what is taking place is that the early church is believing, right, this hope, the church lives into this hope of resurrection, that they can take your life, but that there's still hope after it. And that it provided this care that moved people away from uncertainty. That the best way to dethrone a God in the world is to blaspheme that God. So, for example, uh, if you want to dethrone the God of greed, then be generous by blaspheming it. That's how you take away that God's power. If you want to dethrone yourself as your own God, laugh at yourself. To be light with yourself of the uncertainty that you experience. Take yourself off of that pedestal, and that helps challenge the uncertainty that you have in your life. That for the church, this reality was if you want to dethrone death, then blaspheme it, and for Jesus, it's through the power of resurrection. It's by saying, what if even this thing doesn't have power over your life? It was the early church's understanding of tackling uncertainty in this world. And that's what we need, that for each of us, we're looking for a hope that somehow allows us to handle the uncertainty of the world that we're living in right now. That what all of us would love is a cure, we would love a cure in our life. We would love to see a vaccine even for this virus. But think about the moments of uncertainty in your life before. The moments that you were waiting to date that person or to get that job or when you did know that that person was sick and something might happen to them or the end of that relationship. How many of us prayed for a cure in those moments? How many of us prayed that somehow God would magically fix the deepest wounds and pains in our life? And the reality is that there wasn't a cure there. And when you look back into your life, what you realize was you were still healed even though you didn't have a cure. 
that you are still healed throughout the process, even after the worst thing that you could possibly imagine happened to you, who you were on the other side of that pain was better, stronger, healthier, more mature. And that's what happens to us, that we can find wholeness and healing even if things weren't fixed exactly the way that we wanted to. Or how many of us did have the thing fixed, that we did get the job, that we got the thing that we always wanted and now we weren't satisfied with that thing. And there was where we still need healing, that you may get the thing that you absolutely want in life, but if you haven't been doing any of the work of healing and any of the work of transformation and any of the work of maturity, then you can come out the same side, you can come out the other side and still be the same person. And that's our hope through the midst of all of this is that we don't know what the cure is going to be. We have no idea what society is going to look like weeks from now, months from now, years from now. Things are probably all going to be different. But are we participating in doing some type of work now that even if we don't know what the cure is, could we be healed? Could we be more whole? Could we have something else to offer to our own humanity and to the humanity of the world? These are the things that we look for. I know for many of us, we grew up in the evangelical church. I know that I did. And in the evangelical church, it was all about being cured with none of the healing. The cure was just raise your hand, my brothers and sisters, and in this moment, Jesus is gonna take away everything from you. And how many times as a young sex addict did I raise my hand, did I sign a pledge card, and it didn't go away? because I didn't participate in any of the healing. That Jesus says, if you wanna find your life, you have to lose it. If you wanna find your life, you too have to go, right, carry your cross. But the message that was given to us was somehow Jesus will do all of the work, Jesus will give you a cure, and you don't have to participate in the work of healing in any way, shape, or form. That's not true. And so many of us are deconstructing and we have hurts and we have frustration because people kept offering us a cure. When the message of Jesus is that Jesus wants to keep offering us a path of healing and they're not the same thing. That a cure is something that you often don't have anything to do with. Healing is saying that I don't know if the outcomes that I want are gonna happen here, but I can still choose paths every day that lead to my healing and my transformation and my maturity. And I don't wanna just completely deconstruct or shit on my evangelical past because I realized that there was very important moments that took place for me. That even when I was at summer camp at that time, when I raised my hand, when I wept on the floor at a promise keepers conference, come on people, <laughs> that it was real that in that moment, I thought I was raising my hand to get a cure and that I would forever be fixed. And maybe that's how I saw it in that moment, but God was using that as a moment even for healing. A moment to say, this is how you understand the world in reality right now, and what if that's okay? And what if you can learn new things? What if you can grow and be transformed even from that? And one of the things I think that we learn in the process of healing is we learn how do we surrender the outcomes? then when we're living for a cure, we're not actually trying to surrender anything. I think what we're really trying to do is we're trying to practice magic somehow. We're just trying to say a couple words and to believe that Jesus does all of the work for us. And it really is. God has to do the work. But I think God invites us into the work, which is completely different. And then God invites us into the work of surrendering. So the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus going to the cross is modeling for us 
to the same kind of life, that we have to go die to something, that we have to go surrender to something, but we are a part of the process as well. It's not just about Jesus going to a cross and then all of our lives will magically be better because all of our lives weren't magically better. We were still addicts. You still got divorces. Pain still happened. Cancer was real. Death took place. What if that's not the journey that Jesus was inviting us into? What if the journey that Jesus was inviting us into was our own path of transformation and surrender? And how do we surrender the outcomes in a different way? Because I know this. I know that if we try to control things, it doesn't work out. And you were wondering when I was going to get to Tiger King. And here we are. The whole show is about control. The whole show is about three different antagonists, protagonists, whatever they are, who are trying to control every part of their lives. And they're just in a battle for control for one another. And when you're in a battle for control like that, it gets weird. You can't see clearly. And bad things take place. And I think that what we see, even in the story of Lazarus and all the people kind of throwing shade at Jesus is, it's not a moment of surrendering the outcome. It's kind of a moment of shade and how we feel towards God. Jesus, if you would have just been here, that would have never happened to me. Jesus, if you would have just been there, then how come I got molested as a seven-year-old boy? Jesus, if you just were there, then how come my aunt still died of cancer? That we shout out those things to God. God, if you're so real, then how come people are still dying? And I think that the story is of Jesus accepting the fact that we question and we wonder and we doubt and we deconstruct and we ask questions and we figure it out, and that's okay. And part of the process of surrendering is being okay with grief. Part of the process of surrendering is deconstructing, is asking questions. That there's not a single question that you can bring to God that God is somehow going to be scared. That God can handle your questions. God can handle your doubts. God can handle you figuring it out. And the story is that in the midst of our surrender, in the midst of us not trying to squeeze tight and control everything, that is where God does the most work. It's not always a cure, but it is a part of the process of healing. I know in my own life, one of the most traumatic experiences and years that I had was my sister was a cocaine addict for 10 years. As my sister was a cocaine addict for 10 years, I just remember being angry at her all of the time. And that at that point in my life, the Jesus that I knew was always praying for a cure. God, would you just take this away from her right now? God, would you just reveal some type of truth? God, this, God, that. God, why aren't you showing up? God, why does my sister have three little kids, nine, eight, and four years old, and every night she's out there using cocaine, not knowing where her kids are? God, where are you? And the more that I controlled, the more that I hated her the more that I just didn't even wish that she was alive, the more that I realized that she was just creating incredible pain in this world. And the moment of surrendering for me was unfortunately the moment that I get a call at 6.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning from my dad that says, we found your sister in her room and her body's cold and she's in a coma. You gotta fly back to Colorado as soon as you can because we don't know how long she'll have to live. I remember flying home I remember going into the hospital room with her, tubes down her throat, breathing machines, keeping her alive. And I asked everyone to get out of the room. I remember just sitting by her bedside and looking at her face and just saying, I'm so sorry. 
I'm just so sorry that I've hated you for so long. I'm so sorry that I've been so mad at you because in that moment, I was forced into surrender. What do I have? This isn't what I want for this person's life. And there's no cure that's going to happen here because I was in a pretty charismatic state at that point and I'm like praying for resurrection for my sister in this coma. And that's not what was gonna happen. That what God showed me in those moments is she's gonna die. There's no going back from these moments, but how do you practice healing moving forward from here? How do you learn surrender in a different way? How do you help care for her three kids who will be left behind? How do you learn compassion and grace and mercy for other human beings? Those are the things that you can learn in the midst of healing because it's now it's not just about you. That the process of healing is that you can find healing for everyone else around you as well, that you can learn lessons along the way as you surrender, as you figure things out that you can begin to reframe the experiences that you had before instead of mocking them and just deconstructing them or saying that they were worthless. How do we look at even the traumatic and the painful and the hurtful, the things that we wouldn't wish on anybody in a million years and say, interestingly enough, it was even there that God had the most to show me, that it was in the most God-forsaken places of my life that actually God most showed up. And if that was true, and if that is true for each of us as individuals, then how will God show up in the most God-forsaken places right now as we're dealing with all of this corporately? How will God unbind us, unloosen us in different ways from all of the chains that we had on before? How as we're asking questions and figuring things out and doubting and wondering and screaming to the heavens as we look out into a path of uncertainty ahead, will we see somehow that God was there? I don't say that as a prosperity gospel preacher, I don't say that in some ways that's trite, but I do know that every other critical, traumatic, painful experience in my life that I've looked back on, those were the moments that God ended up healing me the most and offering me the most to offer healing to the rest of the world. I don't know what that means in COVID-19. I don't know how that looks for the whole world of coronavirus, but I do trust somehow that God is in the midst of this and that we have lessons to learn. We have lessons to learn about figuring out who we are in this process, that this can be a season of endless Netflix, and praise God, you should do that. And it can also be a season of surrendering. It can also be a season of, honestly, praying. I've thought about that so many times in these last few weeks. How many people who do I know who are deconstructing and letting things go, and they're just saying things like, God, I need you. I don't know what that means anymore. I don't know if that's magic. I don't know. I'm not looking for a cure. I just know that I need something beyond myself. And that's a story of faith that we participate in. It's a story that 99.9% of humans have been doing since the beginning of time, that they've looked to the heavens when things are out of control, when things are uncertain, and they say, I need you. I need something more. I need something beyond myself. And in doing so, I think about this that I never thought about this until this week. What was Lazarus's life like 10 years after this story? What was it like for him when he's sitting around and he's like, I, I never knew, I, I never thought I was gonna die. I, I was completely uncertain. I, I was dead. And then now look at me. And isn't that the story of our lives? I never thought that thing was going to happen to me and it did. And somehow I'm living on this side of it and I have a whole new perspective for the world. 
I have a whole new perspective of God. I have a whole new perspective of humanity. And I think one of the great gifts as we surrender the outcomes of what we're dealing with right now, as we live into the process of healing, as we do things like pray, as we do things like connect with people on Zoom, as we find ways to continue to participate in therapy or read a good book or meditate or go on walks or reach out for a connection, that as we participate in these realities, I think that we'll find healing. And then as we find healing in these moments, I believe that we look back with the gift of time and we say, even there is where God taught me the most things. That I don't know what kind of cure is coming, but I do know that each of us can find healing in our own way in these times. We're gonna shoot you back out into those groups in a minute and I want you to ask this question with one another. What area of your life do you hope to experience healing? We're gonna give you a little bit of time to click back on the Zoom link and we'll break you back out. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.